0: Welcome back. Today's conversation is quite uh, an important topic for many, many, many reasons. My story with this topic starts back in 2018. It was literally two months after I left a very, very long uh, senior career in corporate America uh, that I decided to go and spend a couple of weeks in Dharamsala. And I had the joy of having an audience with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Even though I'm not a Buddhist, I definitely love a lot of the core beliefs of Buddhism, definitely love the compassion core of Buddhism that His Holiness stands for. I'm also, as many of you know, a seeker of inspiration, a seeker of ascendance and insight, and hopefully enlightenment in everything that I can find. So I study Islam, I study Sufism, Christianity, Judaism, anything Taoism, Zen, anything really Hinduism, Sikhism. I I study anything that I can get my hands on. And as I said, I have found in my early years of researching happiness through the books of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I never heard him speak, never met him. I considered him one of my teachers. And so getting prepared for my audience with him, I decided to do something I rarely ever do, and I decided to go and buy myself a white shirt and a jacket. Instead of my typical T-shirts, I decided to go properly dressed, let's put it this way. For some strange reason, I uh, tried on the white shirt and then gave it to the uh, shop uh, salesperson, and they put it in my bag, and when I was getting ready in the morning of the day of the audience... I found that either I gained like 15 pounds and the shirt was very, very tight on me or they gave me the wrong shirt. Regardless, I had an hour to go. So I had to do something. The only t-shirt I had was a really funny looking video game t-shirt that had a very cute young girl hugging a cube with pink hearts on it. That was the only clean t-shirt I had. So I had to put that on. For my audience with His Holiness. As I walk into the audience, and everyone, of course, feels the respect of the moment, I'm standing there in my funny t shirt, and His Holiness walks to me, and he goes among everyone standing there, and he holds my hands, and he says, You're the funny one. Come sit next to me. And I had one of the most experiences of my life. Remember, I'm coming out of corporate America where everyone is pretending. Everyone is like serious and self-made. And I'm sitting there next to one of the top spiritual leaders of the world, and we are laughing our heads off, like literally like children falling on the floor laughing while learning and discussing very important topics. He started the conversation by saying, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Egypt, Your Holiness, originally. And he said, oh, I had a dream last night that I was a prisoner in Egypt. And I said, well, it could be from another life, Your Holiness. Maybe it was one of your previous incarnations. And he said, well, you don't really know. And I said, but I have bad news, Your Holiness. The Pharaoh that put you in jail... I'm really sorry. I suspect it must have been me. And he laughed so loud and he tapped me on my knee. And we were very, very close for this one and a half hours. As per the testimony of everyone in the room, it was almost like meetings of two very, very old friends who really knew each other. I felt that for sure. I felt such a deep connection. So around two weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, by the time this podcast uh, comes out, there has been a lot of news circling the internet and covered in mainstream media around a video with uh, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and an Indian child positioned as child abuse. Now, I, of course, because of my position in the happiness world, and because of my experience having met His Holiness, I get a lot of questions on social media of what do you think about that? And my answer has always been that, well, it is impossible to know any human being's intentions, but judging by the beautiful soul that I had met, my personal inclination is to say, I doubt very much that this beautiful soul would be a child abuser. Now, let me be very clear at the beginning of this podcast. My intention is not at all to convince you that the Dalai Lama is one thing or the other. I am a million percent against child abuse. Uh, I, however, have been quite appalled uh, by the reaction of humanity, not in terms of being angry at a child abuser. I think if we are to be uh, confident that someone is abusing a child, we should all be very, very angry. But because a few days after the event, I watched a video by a wonderful gentleman, a Tibetan Buddhist who lives in the U.S. His name is Jagme Ugan, who is the president of the Tibetan News Congress, the national Congress in the U.S. And he's also the vice president of the Service Employee International Union of Health in Minnesota. And so he basically prepared the video in his own words about what he believes is the situation, but he also included a lot of very interesting cultural and video facts. He basically showed the entire video, the entire sequence of events uh, that happened leading to that video about His Holiness. Now... Once again, I will say openly, my position, even though I believe in my heart that this beautiful soul that I met is a wonderful, wonderful human being, uh, that it is impossible to be able to know anyone's actual intentions. But what got me mad was that I posted that video on my Instagram saying, here is an alternative view of the story. And I got Of course, lots of people saying, thank you for sharing that, that was eye-opening. But I also got some people that said, no, no way, I'm not going to watch this. And that enraged me, honestly, because we live in a world that is so fake, so fake in every possible way that it's becoming almost impossible to find out what the truth is. And for someone to not have the openness to include every possible input into their decision-making before they make up their mind on what the truth is, I think is idiotic. In all honesty, I decided to call and ask him to be on the podcast, of course, to give him the platform to talk about his point of view of the events. But more importantly, to tell every single one of my listeners that the top skill we need in a fake world of deep fakes and filters and exaggerations by the mainstream media and pretentiousness by, the, by social media, the top skill we need is to allow ourselves to listen to the opposite point of view and to every other point of view before we make up our mind. And so today, I will be impartial. I actually have questions to ask Jigme. But I also want to say that until you have seen and heard all points of view, you don't know what's actually happening. You are misinformed, and most likely, you're going to be misled by today's world. So, first of all, Jigme, I'm really, really grateful that you accepted to come to be my guest at such a short notice and I I have to say I thank you for the video that you shared with me because as much as I answered everyone saying the person that I had met seems to me like a wonderful soul that wasn't information that was just basically me telling people this is what I think about his holiness the Dalai Lama you actually put a lot of fact in that video but so first of all thank you and before we talk about the video I'd like to talk about you because In the video, you came across as someone who is a devout Buddhist. But then before we started filming, you're sitting in your prayers room. I asked you and you said, not really. My practice is not that extensive. Let's put it this way. You're in America, but you are an immigrant and a refugee. So would you introduce yourself to to our listeners, please?
1: well first of all Mo thank you very much for this invitation and thank you for this sharing this beautiful story about your shirt and t-shirt uh, I've had, I've heard so many similar stories like that you know people with long beard long hair you know experiences that touch their life and they take with them for the rest of their life uh, and that's that's the beauty of being around his Holiness uh real quickly about myself uh, so I live in Minnesota and uh, uh, in Minnesota, we have the second largest community of Tibetans after New York, and uh, a lot of us here we've, uh, the, uh, we've immigrated after the big immigration uh, happened. Uh, but rather not going into that, you just uh, I know on the sideline we talked a little bit about being a Buddhist, and uh, and you can say that uh, the beauty about being a Buddhist I've always felt is uh, more than a religion; it's a philosophy it's a state of mind. It's how conscious you are. And uh, my parents always brought me up as, be good, do good. That's the key thing about being a Buddhist. And uh, in your heart, find the reason for kindness, compassion. Uh, Those are the things that make you a Buddhist. And uh, of course, we have meditation prayers that help. But then, to be honest, I don't know all the prayers. I cannot recite. I know the basic ones that are all of us pray with but the uh, buddhism is so intricate and getting a knowledge of it it's it's on its own a life that you have to lead to understand all of it the philosophy so i'm not shy or i don't hide the fact that i'm not 100 buddhist uh, i am a buddhist but i don't pra- like i said i don't practice 100 percent uh so Yeah, it's true. But then at the same time, we have this next generation of children who are coming into this world, my my children, for example. And what's happening in Tibet is our our religion is being destroyed, as we speak. Uh, After the occupation, over 6,000 Tibetan monasteries were destroyed. Monks and nuns are now under scrutiny. They have uh, CCTV cameras in all monasteries. Uh, and religion, and and that's where the core of, uh, I think we can get further into this, but I just wanted to touch on this so that I can
0: tell you that. What I find really surprising actually is that most of our listeners and most of the people I talk about are not fully aware of the actual political. It's not like Palestine. Let's put it this way. So anyone listening to us will have a position on Palestine, whether for or against or whatever, but they will at least know that there is a conflict in Palestine between the Palestinians and the Israelis, right? That's not the case about Tibet. A lot of people are not aware of the history of what happened in Tibet. So would you share that at a very high level, let's say?
1: Thank you, thank you, Mo. And uh, I appreciate this because it roots back to that. So uh, the the Chinese uh, Communist Party uh, occupied Tibet in 1959. Uh, They came in in 1949 and officially in 1959, they occupied where there was a big uprising in Tibet because His Holiness the Dalai Lama's life was in danger. And uh, the Tibetan people in Lhasa, which is the capital of Tibet, came out in droves outside the Potala Palace. I'm sure everyone's seen the Potala Palace. That's uh, the Dalai Lama's residence. so they came out to protect him. And uh, in this process, the Dalai Lama had actually had to escape to India, the neighboring country, India, uh, to actually, because his life was in danger, to for sort of like a temporary refuge. He yeah. went there with the hopes and condition that he was going to come back to Tibet. And uh, this was on March 10th, 1959. And by March 12th, uh, in two days, after all the men and the sons and the brothers were not returning home, the women in Lhasa went out in the streets. So I have uh, heard stories, uh, vivid stories, of people saying that there were blood on the streets of Lhasa. There, yes. It was a complete massacre. And then uh, meanwhile, after His Holiness escaped, uh, went to exile and escaped from Tibet uh, through the very rugged and dangerous terrains of the Himalayas, uh, a lot of Tibetans followed him. And it's about, so that's why when we look at the population, uh, we at this point we say about six to seven million Tibetans living in Tibet and about uh, 150 to 200,000 uh, uh, scattered across the world with hopes of going back. And now it's been over uh, 64 years and we're still here in exile. Meanwhile, in Tibet, as the uh, colonization happened, there was a massive destruction. So more, it's uh, I think that your listeners would be interested to know that Tibet is also considered as the third pole. It was rich in materials. It was because our people worship land. We have a nature worship. So it was unexploited and everything was available. So when you control Tibet, you can control half a billion people in Asia, their water supply. So China really played a long game. They said we control Tibet, the water supply, right from India to everywhere, because all of this water comes out of Tibet. Tibet is a glacier range. There were a lot of other countries that attempted to go into Tibet, but Tibet was one of those the lost horizon, the the Shangri-La. Nobody could go in, uh, and Tibetan people felt very safe uh, being across the Himalayas and having friendly relationships and they didn't uh, participate in any any war. It was a very uh, religious country that minded its own business. So when the Chinese invasion happened, the rest of the world actually just watched. And in 1959, I keep talking about this, this is when the Declaration of the Human Rights was written or was being written. And when the Tibetans went to the UN, and talked about the invasion, they want any countries who are coming out to speak for Tibet. So that is a kind of a nutshell. But then what happened in Tibet was like a, a complete brutal dictatorial and a law, a martial law that has been going on for the last 64 years. Uh, just to give a sense, Freedom House, they do every year, they bring out a statistic of the most not free country in the world. Number one is either Syria or Tibet. That's how bad it is. But countries like north uh north korea come in number four compared to where tibet is so there's restriction <laughs> wow. of movement yeah yeah it's like no, i and and well we could go into every detail and aspect of tibetan lives in tibet uh and uh, i know at some point you said you are a nomad because our main tibetan way of life is a nomadic life we love the pastures we love our animals we love our rivers those are being polluted uh tibet is been turned into a nuclear dumb west. Uh, there's a uh, cultural genocide. There's a population transfer that's coming in. Tibetans are second-class citizens. You can't speak the language now. And Tibetans are actually, the Chinese government has done everything to erode and erose everything that's Tibetan and this next generation. And to go back to the initial thing more, that's why as a uh, Tibetan in exile, we become ambassadors of our country, our religion, our identity, because we are losing it as we speak every day. Hence our prayer room uh, for our children to understand.
0: Yeah. For our listeners, if you haven't seen the movie 7 years in tibet which was one of the early movies of, of Brad Pitt i would advise that you see that because it documents very very nicely a true story of someone who actually went uh, during those times and and
1: and more can can we pitch another movie while we're talking about yeah it? absolutely
0: another uh, other movie is called Kundun. Mm-hmm. i love that movie that was very really directed cool. by scorsese yeah yeah Kun is his holiness's like sort of name or Yeah, we,
1: we really refer to him as Kunden.
0: Yeah. So let's just be very clear here. So what is really most impressive about that period is how the Tibetan people and the Tibetan politics if you want responded. So it is, it's quite interesting that for many years, of course, His Holiness the Dalai Lama has been the spiritual leader and sort of the political leader in exile, if you want, right? Because he still leads Tibet. And his response was quite interesting. I, you know, he was not about let's go kill the enemy. You say it, I I think it would come (laughs) from you.
1: So uh, His Holiness was recognized as a reincarnation at a young age of four, and ever since he had to carry the burden on his tiny little shoulders of an entire nation. So he's in, in Tibet. He wasn't just uh, a spiritual leader, but also a political leader because of the turmoil that was happening in Tibet. And when we came to exile, he was, he is, and uh, I more if I can add, he is the world's longest surviving political leader ever. But then he really wanted to retire and bring about real and true democracy in the Tibetan community. Uh, In exile, His Holiness was able to put together a Tibetan parliament in exile. Uh, We have a Tibetan, uh, uh, Central Tibetan Administration, uh, which used to be the Tibetan government in exile. And we've got a fully functioning, uh, you know, with ministers, with uh, our cabinets, you know, with massive debates, uh, all of those happening uh, in exile. So His Holiness really created a structure of democracy for us to see. So, uh, yeah, uh, even as uh, he he stepped off as a political leader, but China still sees him as a threat, as a political leader, because he's got such a incredible amount of following of Buddhism. And had he just once just made any indication to his followers that he wants to go about in a certain way, there would have been no doubts that things would have been different. But he chose nonviolence. He's always said that I've forgiven the Chinese, the people who call him a splitter, a wolf in a sheepskin, you know, and uh, he's forgiven them. He's always wanted to hold peaceful dialogues with the Chinese. And uh, it's the Chinese who are incredibly putting pressure And now this big smear campaign, which isn't new, but the world took notice now.
0: All right. So, so for our listeners, these are facts part of the facts that need to be understood about the situation, which really, really, really breaks my heart, is that there is so much injustice in our world. Tibet is a great example of that. You spoke about Syria. There is injustice in the challenges that the Ukrainian people are going through, of course, in Palestine and so on and so on. injustice in, in Palestine and so on and so forth. And by the way, that's not me taking a political stand for or against any person here, but there are people struggling in the process, right? There are hundreds of millions of people that become the prey, if you want, the byproduct of political conflicts. And and those political conflicts are incredibly important for everyone to understand. Now, my personal background on the story has always been quite I mean, I've been quite impressed because I've heard in my conversation uh, with His Holiness, as well as on, in public media many, many times, how he talks about having compassion for the Chinese. I go like, what do you mean? Like, these are the people that kicked you and, and kicked your people out. And his view is that, yes, and fighting is one way of making the world better, but a better way is compassion right a better way is to say look i understand the reasons that you may have made the decisions that you have and perhaps if i was raised the way that you have been i would have made the same decisions too but i would like to extend a hand of empathy and compassion so that we can solve problems in a nonviolent way nonviolent is a very interesting way let's talk about that for a minute so the buddhist belief is, as you said, it's much more a philosophy than a religion, even though I I have to say, as I spoke to many of my very, very dear, very senior monks in the Tibetan Buddhism, I sort of have a definition of a religion that basically says it's a, a position on the divine, a position on yourself or your relationship with yourself, and then a position about your relationship with others. That's what most spiritual teachings do. And while the Buddhist view is different, it has a position on each of those. But that's not my point. My point is this. A true devout Buddhist does not kill a fly. Can you explain this to me? Because I actually have a fly here that's completely (laughs) annoying. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm serious. It's quite interesting actually. She's I don't know if you if it's if it's seen on camera but you know no, uh, is a fly no, is a fly a she I don't know but is she's annoying. Me. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. He did a really good job of staying <laughs> calm and, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. explain this to me a little bit. So a devout Buddhist wouldn't kill anything. Wouldn't hurt anything.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and that is because we believe in uh, reincarnation, the, the law of karma. And uh, even if we accidentally kill something, you know, and this was something that I was brought and taught with. So it's, this isn't so much like religion taught us, but then it was a value. Uh, you know, it was a cultural value and a tradition being a Buddhist and a Tibetan. If you step on a, a, a bug, you would pray that this bug has a life that is better than that it had been. So we were always taught that. I I always did that, uh, you know, and uh, I mean, even I think the Dalai Lama was uh, once asked that question and he said, sometimes he just uh, kills a mosquito because they come. They're like vampires. I think he <laughs> yes. used the word. But like the idea of this, like we we embrace it around the circle of life. And we are in our human forms because of the good we did in the past. And to continue that, we have to do good. So there is that piece of compassion, love, kindness, that you are accountable, not to anybody, but to yourself when you you come to your next being or your next life. So that sort of philosophy keeps you grounded, you know, and in a very selfish way. You also like, you know, hey, uh, in my next life, I want to still be a human being. I want to be maybe more uh, of this and that. So we do a little bit of good. uh, So there is a little bit of that, uh, I I feel, you know. But uh, Mo, to answer your question, yes, Tibetans do eat meat. (laughs) Uh, In fact, in Tibet, uh, because of uh, the glacier and there was very little vegetation in a lot of parts of Tibet. So uh, meat was the main source and barley were the main source of food. So, but then even when Tibetans are eating meat, there is a prayer, for the, the, the spirit and the soul of the, the animal you're eating, you're thanking the animal. And then, like, uh, I have Tibetan elders who are like, Oh, we're eating a, a larger animal, which is shared amongst a lot. So we're praying. But like my grandmother is like, I'm not going to eat a fish. I'm not going to sh- eat a shrimp because that's one individual life. So. That's how they're counting their karma. And uh, so it's 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 very sort of like there's a survival instinct on this, very primitive survival instinct on eating meat and all of that, but then really uh, beautifully uh, compromised with religion. So you get that little self-assurance. I was a vegetarian for about 20 years. And uh, my grandmother was worried that I might be sick. So she actually uh, invited a Tibetan monk to come and talk to me yeah, because she thought I was doing it for religious uh, values, and I said it was more for political values, uh-huh. uh, which she would not understand at all. <laughs> so she actually invited a monk to explain to me that it's all right. You know, we have these prayers, we can do this, and like you know, an alternate. So yeah, and His Holiness has uh, many times attempted to stay vegetarian, because, but because of his health reasons, uh, he sometimes has to eat it, but he has minimized it to the
0: max. Yeah. Yeah, can I ask? I mean, this is this idea of of sort of respecting every other form of life is really beautiful, but at the end of the day, we're humans. So there is always someone, and I think this has been probably a big part of the reason for the rage around the video that came out, where you would find someone in a church or something that pretends to be someone but is different is evil inside is abusing others is hurting others and so on is this common in tibet
1: not in tibet we haven't because uh well i can give you so many examples but before i start that i do want to acknowledge that child abuse and neglect is terrible nobody should uh accept it to a point where we talk about, because there's an outrage you talked about, because it's true, there's been really a lot of religious institutes where child abuse and sexual abuse has come to the forefront. And for the right reason, there's a lot of rage and uh, lack of confidence. Uh, And I'd say in exile, it is uh, our Tibetan Buddhism isn't too far from that. We've had cases around it, and His Holiness has been upfront of being absolutely against any and all. Now, going back to the question in Tibet, I have never been to Tibet more, just so you know. I was born in exile. I can never go back to Tibet. I've tried. I can never, ever go back to Tibet, uh, mostly for my political reasons. But not just me, my father who passed away, he had family back in Tibet and he wanted to go back and he wasn't even allowed because he was my father. But in Tibet, when I listened to stories from him growing up, there was nothing like, uh, he would say, women, young women, older women, after they take a bath, would go, uh, walk around topless. You know, nobody saw that as a uh, sexualized it. They saw breasts as a form of life for children. They never, it wasn't, there was, nothing was sexualized as such. Children freely roamed around the streets of Tibet. Parents, grandparents, older people, no matter who they saw the children, would give them sweets, take care of them, and then send them home. Parents had that level of confidence. I don't think we had to lock our doors uh, for fear of, like, you know, I mean, we would have bit of fear about robbers coming in, but, like, any intruders with sexual intent. None of those, you know, and we brought that in exile with that level of confidence. Now, if I may share, more. I grew up in India, in a town called Kalingpong in Darjeeling. Uh, We've got a pretty decent sized Tibetan uh, settlement there. And growing up, even as a young man, I was very attracted to little children. I would pull their cheeks, I would bite them, you know, I say, like, you know, hold them. And these aren't children that I have met. They're random children. Oh, your child is so beautiful. Can I, like, you know, hold, like, absolutely that level. Of trust and confidence. So when I came to America, my family here said, "Do not touch the children here." <laughs> yes. right? In fact, do yeah. not even touch the dogs here.
0: Yeah.
1: Right, and that was a sort of a culture shock for me on how uh, sort of protected, isolated, and like. And I guess it's based on a lot of historical background that comes out of that, where people are. Uh, uh, that level of fear and like, you know, distrust is there. But we didn't have any of those growing up. Uh, and I shared in my video, my father and me, we had uh, not the best relationship, I would say, you know, in terms of just uh, views. But emotionally, we were very attached. Every Every day when I met him, uh, when I said goodbye, I would kiss him on his lips. We would uh, touch each other's forehead. Uh, it was a sign of love and respect. And, but there were certain things that we didn't agree on, but that was off the record, like, you know.
0: Yeah, this is really a very core, a core part of the truth, if you want, because remember my objective here is to try and tell people don't take things without verifying the truth of them. And so a big part of the truth is that it's contextual. So, so like you rightly said, in Tibet, in Spain, okay, a father would kiss his son on the lips right? That's actually very, very, very normal in many countries around the world. In Spain, for example, when you hug a a young child, you slap them on the face a few times, like, Mochacho, you're my friend, right? (laughs) You know, in some cultures, that would be considered abuse. In other cultures, it wouldn't, right? And like you rightly said, you know, squeezing the cheeks is quite Egyptian, as a matter of fact, right? My elder brothers would tickle me until I can't breathe, Literally, uh-huh. like, uh-huh. until I can't breathe, right? And and in a very interesting way, there might be a country around the world where if a brother did that to his younger brother, it would be considered misbehavior or wrong. But in other cultures, it's considered okay. Now, I'm going to, unfortunately, start with a very stark description. So, in the Tibetan culture, you don't bury your dead. So, uh, in the original...
1: Yep, it, it was there was Sky Burial and there is a story behind it too, because yeah. our ancestors believed that you know now that your soul and your spirit has left the body, the body is nothing but a vehicle. Correct. And let that vehicle be of use even after death. So your body is offered to uh vultures and all of that, so that even in your death, you are of some use to somebody, your
0: body. So it's like the concept of just like universal love of like just being out there. So let me explain this to our listeners because the first time I was exposed to this, it appalled me. So the way the uh, Tibetans would honor their dead is to actually offer them to the vultures. So the body would be eaten by the vultures. And I asked, and I said, with curiosity, remember there is curiosity because there is context it's not our actions that define us it's the intentions behind our actions and in my questions i was like this is this is wrong like how can you do that to the body of someone that you love and and the answer was exactly what you just said it was basically well the body is not the person okay the body is just the vehicle of the consciousness or the spirit of that person and accordingly that vehicle is empty of the person. It's just basically honoring them by saying, like the West would do, the highest honor for someone would be to say, okay, I donate my organs to others. Okay. When I die, take my liver and give it to someone else that can live with it, or take my heart and give it to someone that can live with it. That's a bit... It's a lot, actually, if you think in the, back in the 50s where organ donation wasn't a possibility, the Tibetans would simply donate the entire body to another form of being because of the Tibetan belief that it's a vehicle, it's empty of the identity of the person that they love, and it can be of use to the rest of us because we are all one, including the vultures. Okay, now that's a big stretch for a Western culture, but it is so beautiful when you understand it in a very interesting way. It's basically saying we're all one. Me and the vulture are one, okay? I may have been a vulture in another life. And as a result of that, by the way, why not donate the body to the vultures instead of the whatever is going to eat it in the ground or to the wind where after I cremate it, I basically at the end of the day, it is the intention behind it. So this within context becomes, okay, I can listen to that out of context. And again, if you see some of the movies we've recommended to you, you would think of it as a very, very unusual thing. Tibetans also are very I mean, at least the ones I have met, it's hard to generalize. So let's not make any assumptions because this is a podcast about learning to find facts, but the ones I have met have been quite touchy, right? So his holiness (laughs) kept touching me. Everyone Uh hugs, everyone, everyone squeezes the, the cheeks of the kids and so on. And in some cultures it's like, hold on, this is my personal space, but it is a form of showing affection, at least with the people that I met. Tell me a bit about that.
1: It's very true. Mo, as you were talking about one thing about the sky burial, one, the other example is in Hinduism too, a lot of cremation are done halfway and is fed to the fish. That's the body, you know, it's out there. So there are a lot of uh, practices, a lot of them ancient and like for all the reasons they believed in that and uh, moved on. But as we adapt, things are a bit different. But now going to the Tibetans being touchy, Yes, we grew up, the, our parents would say, your baby cheeks will never go away because people were always carrying you in your arms, right? And there's a belief that if you don't walk a whole lot when you're growing up, uh, your baby cheeks would remain. So I guess uh, I have a lot of baby cheeks, so <laughs> I guess I was carried around and passed yes. around a lot. Uh, yeah. But it is true, our elders have this uh, permission. Like uh, it is like they can... Uh, Uh, Well, like when I remember when I was a child and my parents would take me to uh, a neighbor or someone's house, the first thing they would go is like, uh, I'll respect the elder, uh, go, um, you know, uh, touch your forehead with him, you know, and he would be like, give me a kiss. And then he would just literally kiss your mouth. And like, as a kid, we'll be like, but he'll like hold you and he'll kiss you. And the parents would be like, stop moving. You know, Uh, he's loving you. like." (laughs) <laughs> it was like, as a kid, it was like, what is happening? So these were all this there. And it was a sign of love. And these people were even my grandparents, like, you know, and it was what they did. Uh, we were brought up in that culture, but it is not true for like a brother or sister or brother or brother, you know, there's a level on that, you know, but our physicality is mostly with the elders, our parents who do that. And, uh, many a times I've been there stories, like, you know, I was, uh, just here, I mean, my daughter was born in Minnesota. Her grandmother, who came uh, to exile from Tibet, uh, when my daughter was young and she would be sick, uh, have a flu, she would literally, her grandmother would suck the snot out of her mouth. And I would be like, why are you doing oh. this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, why? And I saw it. And I was like, what is happening? What are you doing this for? And she said, like, if you keep rubbing her nose too much, this is going to hurt. So <laughs> oh, we do everything. that. It is that, that level of love and intimacy with the people that you care about, that there are no boundaries. Like the forehead thing is its very common. It's actually a sign of respect. It's like in India, uh, a younger person would go touch uh, uh, an elder's feet you know there's so many signs of respect yes, correct. Like yeah. in korea japan you bow down, and like the lower you bow the lower you go eventually you're down on the floor as a sign of respect so we have that we have so many signs of respect and more when you're in india probably a lot of people who are like tashi delay and not because they are like you know you are a holy man or anything this is like because they're respecting you they offer you stuff uh we will in our culture brings out the respect and love in such a physical way that we are immediately attached like i i, I keep saying this i don't know tibetans saying i love you it's not something that we say like, yeah, we don't that. need yeah. reinforcement yeah. of like i yeah. love you or my, my 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 parents don't say i love you now our parents showed their love in various way that you would be convinced that they like uh so Yeah, I mean, my example, I grew up in Kalingpong, and when they say in the West, you know, like in Africa, it takes a whole community and a village to bring up a child. I am that byproduct. I am that byproduct. I grew up in my neighbor's house. They fed me. They took care of me. My parents would freely leave them there. I would eat food with them. They would feed me with their hands. Like, all of this love and affection uh, was, like, what brought us up, and I think that is in us. In the in the in the space of giving, understanding, loving, and that we grew up with
0: now, it's like a, a formidable part of our being as Tibetans. So you know, I've, of course, again, because I have, I always say, I grew up in the East, and then I I learned and worked in the West. So I I have a very reasonable view of the polarity between them. I think you have the same. It is actually quite an interesting dilemma because. When I went to, to visit my grandma, when I was a child, my father had seven brothers and sisters, and I am told to have been a cute child. I cannot believe that looking at me now, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, it seems I was cute. And I promise you when we, when we were driving there on Friday, I would beg my dad and say, please protect me because they all <laughs> squeeze my, uh, my cheeks. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I know that it is normal for cheeks to be squeezed, but when there are seven of them, it's just a little <laughs> bit too much, right? Now, here is the interesting question. If I had ever gone on one of those Fridays and none of them s- squeezed my cheeks or one of them didn't squeeze my cheeks, I would feel that something was very wrong. Yes. Yes. Like w- did I upset anyone? Is is there something wrong? Am I not cute anymore? (laughs) Now, let me go into the video that has been circling the internet from that context. Okay. So for those who haven't seen it, it is a short clip of His Holiness the Dalai Lama kissing an Indian child in a conference in front of probably hundreds of people. So kissing him on the lips and then the child retreats a little bit. And then His Holiness sort of basically says, no, no, hold on, I want more or something like that. And basically says, "Now, now, you should suck my tongue. You should suck my tongue, Mm -hmm. right? Which of course in Western culture is positioned very, very strongly as child abuse. I mean, absolutely, no doubt about it. If an adult does that to a child behind closed doors, it's absolute child abuse right? Or anywhere, it's child abuse. So this short clip is not the entire video. So would you tell me a little more about what you posted on, on your coverage of the of the issue and, and how the whole story played out?
1: Sure, Mo. And uh, just to be a uh, little bit of backdrop on why and how this happened. So for almost decades now, the, the Chinese government, they have launched one of the most sophisticated cyber warfare and sort of like a digital espionage targeting His Holiness, the Tibetan community and the Tibetan movement. And for years, they have tried to use various ways to manipulate, to disparage the Dalai Lama and to create confusion within the community. And this video, uh, like you rightly said uh was actually about six weeks ago it happened six weeks ago and most of uh, his holiness's teaching are a live telecast and all, i mean not most all of his teachings are live telecast because there's very minimum of teaching uh, because of his age he turns 88 years old in three months you know i mean he can barely walk and he's losing his hearing you know, and through COVID, I heard that he really felt unease that he was not able to share. So he went through Zoom and all of these. Now he still wants to go out because he loves being around people. You know, talking to them. You know, understanding. And uh, so it was one of those moments where there are about hundred and. Twenty really odd uh, graduate students, Indian graduate students, come in, their teachers, their, you know, uh, advisory board. All of them were there, including the His Holiness entire group and like, you know, and other Tibetans who were followers sitting there. And uh, this happened about six now, about seven weeks ago. And it was online available for everyone to see. I remember watching it and uh, like every Tibetan, I was like, oh, my god that boy is so lucky he nice. must have had good karma to get such an audience such an intimate audience and uh that's what we believed in and like uh more like you know in tibetan belief like you know dalai lama is a god-like figure for us when there's an older person who is in like you know the last stages of life their request is his holiness blow in their mouth children's with illness their parents take it and this is not like a religious conceptual thing but rather like a blessing so that like we have all of these in our culture and our religion and more people know about it they'll be like why do you do that and there is a philosophy and a and a, and a thought behind it now in this instance the young Indian student the child gets up and says uh, can you hug me more interestingly just yesterday, I found out i've been investigating on this the event and the details first of all the child's mother is on the stage right next to his holiness okay and she was one of the main organizers and all the organizers are sitting uh uh, next to his holiness and professor Sandor ramboche is sitting next to uh his holiness the child actually i found a video footage that i just posted during the welcome ceremony the child was actually the one who presented gifts to his holiness in the beginning he brings gifts his holiness tickles him under his chin and starts poking him and tickling him you know and then uh, the, the child bows down to touch his holiness's feet and his holiness brings him in and hugs him and like, uh, he's wearing a himachali hat that the organizers had offered him. He takes his hat off, and they, he touches the child's forehead, and then shares a very interesting story about his growing up as uh, the younger siblings and how his brother, would, uh, when they would harass him, he would use the side of his head to rub his head. So he did that to the child. And the child has little pain. They laugh, you know, and the child moves on. This happened... Earlier that we found out, and then during the question and answer session, the child again gets up and says, "Can you hug me?"
0: I think what he said was, "Can I hug you?"
1: Yeah, can I can I hug you?
0: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's actually different. Can you hug me? Is different than. Oh no, can no. I, can I, hug, I hug, you? hug you? I'm sorry. So, can yeah, I hug so you? The, so the child is saying, "I want to hug you."
1: Yep, can I hug yep. you? I'm sorry. That's exactly. And it took a little while for His Holiness to understand, and he's losing hearing on uh, I think his left, and then the interpreters had to, like, literally tell him what happened, and His Holiness says, come. And at that point, I have to point out that the mother of the child, uh, because I speak Hindi, is saying, uh, Mm. "Uh, have you gone insane, right? Mm. And, like, shaking her head. uh, And and when His Holiness says, come, she's like, what? And the child moves up, and then His Holiness uh, is holding his hand, come here, give me a hug, I'll give you a hug. And then, like, I explained in uh, my video before I talk about the concept, what a lot of our elders would do is when I would go to my grandfather or, like, my neighbor's grandfather or my friend's grandfather and say, like, can I get so-and-so? They'd be like, okay, but first you give me a kiss, you know? Hmm. You would do this to your own child here, right? right? Growing up. That is very common there. Uh, And then there's a sense of a trade, a barter. I'm gonna give you this candy, but first, let me bite your cheeks. More, our people just don't pull cheeks, they bite till their <laughs> teeth marks on your cheeks. Yeah. So your Fridays would have been worse if it was in my community, it would be like,
0: literally, yeah. teeth I, marks. I remember I used to do that. I have a, a, one of my favorite photos of all time was my little daughter, Aya, which was very, very cute, literally on her tiptoes and I'm sitting up with my cheek a little bit tilted, telling her more, 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 because she she asked for something. And I was basically saying, you have to kiss me on the cheek for that. It's very typical. And one of my favorite pictures, she also loves it whenever she uh, sees it. It's basically that idea of, I want more from you. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's yeah. just like, so this is what His Holiness, uh, it was, a very grandfatherly affection, love, kindness shown to this child. And when the child came in, they rubbed their forehead again. Remember, this is the second time. I'm just a lot of light bulbs are coming in my head, but then this was the second time His Holiness said, so Come on in, right? Mm. Uh, literally, a few owl or a couple of later uh, said, Come on in, hugs, and says, Now give me a kiss. Right. And the child's like, mm, and he pulls like, no, give me a kiss, you know. And then now he's like, suck my tongue. Right. Now suck my tongue. And as the child, child, is like leaning in, his holiness immediately goes back and is like, gotcha. Sort of that mm-hmm. moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And the video is cleverly edited to his holiness, sticking his tongue out. He said, gotcha. And then even taps the boy. Uh, on his shoulder starts laughing. The entire audience is laughing, right? They are clapping, they are applauding, you know. Uh, it was a fun event. Now, this is very, like, there is uh, an intent and an impact to this, right, when we talk about it and uh, how a lot of people saw that. And obviously watching a 20-second clip without context, without understanding what happened in the beginning, forget that the child had uh, had an uh hugged his holiness earlier in the day. That don't matter. But what matters is what happened after that too. His holiness jokes, pulls him in, hugs him, takes his little hands, puts him on uh, his cheeks and says a little prayer. And then gives the child a personal advice of like, don't look up uh, to uh, men who kill or something to that. I've seen that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Look up to people who are good. All of those, right? And then hugs the child and they move away. Now, the child's mother is right there. In fact, I understand his grandfather was sitting right next to the mother. 120 people, live telecast, all of those. And after all of this, they interviewed the child. Uh, They asked him, how do you feel? Like you just got hugged by his holiness?" He's like, it is a life-changing experience. I cannot stop smiling. This is the best time and the best thing that happened to me. The child says that the mother said it was beautiful. It was uh, something that we had waited for so long. And these interviews, I've actually just released them more of uh, both the mother and child after the after the day of the event. So it's been six weeks, 120 people, uh, various dignitaries, teachers, the mother, grandfather, the child. Nobody raised any concerns. Nobody. All of a sudden, we see a 20 second manipulated, tailored clip going out with very persuasive language attached to it, really changing the context of how people were perceiving it. So that's why when I talk about the cyber war that China has launched, this is exactly
0: it. And we- Well, we don't know that for a fact. So so let me be, again, just in favor of talking about investigating the truth right? All that you've mentioned so far is available in video clips online. So you can see it with your own eyes. You can know Mm -hmm. that this is the truth, right? We don't know the source of the video, right? It could be. actually do actually. Do we?
1: We do. We do. do. And in fact, I just released a video on that. I've spent a lot of time around and asking people and people who are smart on the computer than me, helping figure out. And we nailed it down to one account, a fake account son, that video was uh, posted on April 8th. And there was a massive amount of bot and, like, you know, uh, work around it where immediately it got to 7 million views. It was pushed to make it look like there was a lot of support around it. And then there were a lot of sort of self proclaimed influencers who have a history of being mouthpieces of the CCP government. All of them, we can. Uh, my video, actually, I, I actually expose all of them. People like Samira Khan, who's been talking about how uh, the occupation or the colonization of Tibet was a good thing, right? That is the message because the Dalai Lama is a CIA agent. All of these that the China Chinese propaganda has been used, they've been doing it for ages. And right now, if you go to their account, you will see it coming back again. They're using this opportunity to do that. So we've been able to find out who did it. And in fact, more if I can tell you this, it's extremely important. Uh, for over 60 years, in the Chinese internet world, the Dalai Lama did not exist at all. For Tibetans living in Tibet, in occupied Tibet, carrying a photo of the Dalai Lama, mentioning his name, praying to him, talking about him, Would put you in slave labor camps. A photo of the Dalai Lama would almost get you executed. They've been case of execution. Listening to his teaching, impossible. Right? The Dalai Lama is banned in Tibet. In China, they don't they don't even know like the Dalai Lama is there. So that is the kind of the push they have done to cover the Dalai Lama. Now watch this. After 60 years. Weibo is one of the largest social media uh, platforms in China. Guess who is the most trending name? Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama. And the only available photos are his interaction with this little child, kid boy. Only that. And then there are a lot of fake ones that are coming. And I've put that all on my video, too, uh, with proof. And these were uh, pushed out. To a point where actually CCP verified accounts were pushing this. On Weibo, it was trending number one. Hashtag Dalai. Where a lot of Chinese, uh, uh, those folks online uh, have been saying, wait, is he still alive? Those were the responses that were coming in. So in Tibet, we have a saying uh, since the Dalai Lama is banned. And again, on my... uh, video, I show many cases of people being prosecuted, uh, imprisoned, and killed for anything related to the Dalai Lama. We have news clips of all of those. Every time the Chinese spoke ill of the Dalai Lama, our people in Tibet knew that he was doing well. Right? And even in this case where they were sharing pictures with, with the child's face blurred so that you can't even see, there was absolutely no contact with the tongue. None of those, and the beauty of uh, and the resilience of our people is, they were so happy that they finally saw His Holiness on this computer screen, got an audience, a blessing of their guru. They looked at it that way, not a drop of doubt of this happened, and they knew this was completely manipulated. Of course, there was a lot of fake ones, and they've got like uh, His Holiness and Joe Biden kissing. You know, and in fact, that photo was uh, retweeted by Elon Musk with two little fire emojis, and that screenshot is being shared all across in China. So that if we are looking for evidence, if we want to know who's behind it, nothing could prove it more than this.
0: So again, I mean, I'm being the advocate of verifying the truth here. All that you share is evidence or, you know, that proves the hypothesis that, of course, the Dalai Lama is being targeted, right? We understand that. But to be able to say this video was released by China, to me, as a scientist, basically, there needs to be an actual observation of who released it and that it's related to that. In any case, to me, this is not the core of my topic today. The core of my topic today is this. Everyone will tell you the part of the truth that serves their agenda, okay? And the only way for you to see the whole truth on the internet or to get closer to the truth is what we used to call the long tail, right? So basically the idea is that the wisdom of the crowd, if you combine all views of a topic and average them, That average is normally closer to the wisdom than any one extreme view of a topic. Okay. So basically what I'm encouraging people to do is to take information like what you're sharing and saying, why is this trending in China as compared to, and to nothing about the Dalai Lama for 60 years? You know, why is it coming from a fake account? Why is the child's face blurred? Why is this? Why is that? So my tendency, when I look at situations like this is I put things in my mind in three compartments. Okay, I actually wrote six chapters in a book that I call compartment two and I never published it. But the idea here was this. There are very, very few things that we know are true. And there are very, very few things that we know for a fact are false, okay? And the majority of life is what, in what I call, if, if truth is compartment one and false is compartment three, the majority of life is in compartment two, okay? Uh-huh. And in compartment two, To say that something happened or didn't happen is an assumption. In compartment two, all you can do is to say the probability of this happening is higher than the probability of it not. The probability of it being released by an enemy of the Dalai Lama is higher than not and so on and so forth, right? And so what is compartment two? Compartment two are things that you can't prove for or against, okay? So interestingly, to say that Tibet has been occupied in 1959. That's compartment one. It's a fact. We know that, right? We know for a fact that his holiness has enemies, right? Like any other political leader, like any other spiritual leader, right? We know for a fact that children are treated in a certain way in certain cultures and that kissing on the lips is not seen as a a different thing, right? Mm -hmm. The intentions of any person are in compartment two. I can never allow myself to say, and the intentions based on what I see, what's inside that person is A, B or C, right? I cannot allow myself to say, and by the way, with certainty, this has been an act that was orchestrated by this specific department of this specific government. But I can say within compartment two that it's likely that this is that way it's likely that the intentions of an 88-year-old person who has been a monk all his life and so on and so forth, the probability is that he's probably not a child abuser, right? And I think people need to start to, to look at things in two ways. One way is to try and average all of the possible available information and two which is my favorite one of my top 3 books of all time is free economics and in free economics they talk extensively about the fact that when something is presented to you it is not to serve you it's to serve the objective of the presenter right if you know if i am marketing a product to you and saying this is going to make your life funnier right I don't give a damn about your life. I'm, I, I'm marketing it for you because I want you to buy it. My objective is different what you, than what you think. And, and free economics goes into this in very, very interesting way. It basically says your doctor, most of the time has no intention of curing you. Your doctor has an intention of finishing as no, many appointments as he can today to make as much money as he can. Your real estate agent has no intention of maximizing the price if he's representing you to sell. His intention is to sell so that he can get his commission. Even if it's if your price is down by 50,000, his commission is down by 500. He doesn't really care that much and, and so on. No. And so what I'm asking people to do is to look at this as an example of the amount of fakeness that we have in the world and say who has intentions that could serve that video surfacing okay that could that could be served by this video surfacing and you know how many other views around that video are out there and how much of it is true and how much of it's fake and how much of it is in compartment 2
1: beautifully said more no, beautifully
0: thank you thank you and uh
1: my community is hurting. Uh, of it's, it's course. In, it's in pain. There's a lot of rallies uh, around India as we speak. People are hurt because of the misunderstanding. And I use this example is His Holiness, not just a global icon, but someone that has been such a radiance on this world that we as humanity should be happy that we're living in the same era as Him. So for us, when we see all of these, we say, you're trying to shine a flashlight at the sun. But the sentiment around it is painful. Uh, the way the media has been pushing this without investigation. I understand uh, in your compartment, too, there are human beings and people with doubts, history, trauma that they bring. But within the media world, there has been no investigation. They ran with this 20 second clip. And then the the apology letter from the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama didn't apologize for kissing, he apologized for hurting people. Right? In fact, we know that the the mother, the family of the boy, in fact, sent a letter to His Holiness apologizing him for causing distress. It It is to a point where, like, how this was flamed up, how it became a clickbait sensationalized to benefit the people like you said who are pushing this and people profiting out of this to create a sort of a frenzy without proper work so our pain is not just with the people who are responsible for this but the
0: people who fanned it out and it was clearly the media how could the media i mean if someone like you sends your video clip or a few facts, maybe not the entire 17 minutes, but a few short clips to say, here are to the BBC and say, here are actual facts that you're ignoring in your story. How can they not take that into consideration? That has been sent. that has been
1: sent, Mo. But mm-hmm. like, for me, it was like when, if, if I'm in, in in my press room and someone sends me as a, a 20 second clip and I see that it is uh, everywhere online, I will not jump on it, especially when it comes to someone like the Dalai Lama. You're making an accusation. If I, as an ordinary person, go on YouTube and find details, I'm sure the media people have much more experience and research in front of them. None of that was done. They just went with that. And everywhere they started showing the photo. And like you and I, we know that people who watch the complete unedited video,
0: their minds changed. I am certain, Jigme, that one day soon, because Western media also have a a benefit in in attacking China, sadly, uh, it's not because they have a benefit in saying the truth, uh, that one day soon, one reporter will come out and say, hey, by the way, uh, the Dalai Lama, which we positioned as evil, ah, let us tell you about the bigger evil, okay? And the bigger evil is this and that. Um, can i ask you have you been getting uh, lots of hate messages oh i
1: mean if i go to my youtube i could just ball my eyes out never in our lives my 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 parents my not, not my parents my my daughter's grandmothers they are in tears uh, people aren't able to sleep. i haven't been able to sleep i can't uh, eat well it is worrying the things that i'm reading that how would anyone say anything like this to anyone and then at times i i open those accounts and they were created yesterday some of them a month ago you know these accounts they i mean these are not just trolls these are bots we are seriously talking when i talk about uh, cyber espionage this is real and if your listeners can go to my page at youtube and just open up any hate comment Right. And all the Tibetans are saying there is long live the Dalai Lama, because it, it's like uh, to a point where like these things have been moved on so quick right now. There's such an investment. So what's happening in China, what's happening on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all of these. My daughter says uh, she can't go to TikTok anymore. She's inundated. Right and the 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 cancel culture and the two second click I I know everything because I watched this mindset uh, this government is really tapping into that and using it to a whole advantage. Me and my activist friends, we are saying that this is going to be bigger across the world. This is going. We feel like we might be the test subject. On many occasions, we've had been that. But this is going to happen to an unprecedented scale across the globe across countries communities and groups and this is gonna i'm not even talking about deep fakes it's the way they took this clip and not only made it persuasive but the way they promoted and pushed it it is
0: unreal so everyone listening if you're still here after an hour and 20 minutes then you must be interested in what we're saying. They're about to cancel me, which I have to tell you, I was thinking of taking a vacation from slow-mo. Uh, so if you don't want me to be canceled, rate this five stars. <laughs> I, think that, I think that would be the only way to sort of balance it out. In a very interesting way, I will tell you openly, I don't mind being canceled in favor of the truth, right? And I will say openly, I can never know the truth, but I know that the person I met was wonderful. Okay, that's my truth, if I can put it this way. And you know, it's it's funny when you uh, when I was asking you, do you get hate speech? Uh, because I have a very interesting policy on social media, which is to never answer a negative. So uh, you know, when people put negative comments, which is very rare, surprisingly, I get when at the beginning when I started working on happiness in 2017, I would get one of every four comments would be devastating. And I'm like, why? I'm, I'm trying to make a billion people happy. Why are you doing this to me, right? And then I simply stopped responding to any negativity at all. I read them and I pray for them and I just you know, uh, ignore them completely. And sometimes my community would respond to them and I would sort of respond to my community and say, thanks for the support. It's okay to have a, mis- a disagreement in opinion. And that dampened. So I, I now get, a negative comment every maybe two, three weeks. I think I'll get negative comments on our conversation very, you know, much more often than that. <laughs> <And> <laughs> but here's, here, here, here is the thing, uh, Jigme. so So the interesting side is that I thought you would say I get a lot of hate speech because it comes from people who are traumatized so so you know people who of course sadly i mean we we have to to acknowledge the fact that at least one of every four children has been abused that's shocking it's shocking when you think about that every like, day. yeah it's like what what has humanity come to right but so so you could expect that one of every four of Anyone that sees my posts or, you know, any of my listeners or any of my followers will have unfortunately been abused as a child. As, and, and, you know, it's the proper level of compassion to say, I feel your pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I understand you're angry at this and I understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're against the idea of child abuse. It, the question is, is this person worthy of your anger or are there others that are worthy of your anger who are using the concept of child abuse to steer your emotion? Right, but what you're saying is even more eye-opening. That the hate speech that you're getting is not even from real people; it's orchestrated to create negativity around your attempt to say. But here is a bigger sh- chunk of the truth that people need to be aware of.
1: Absolutely, more yeah. well, and like I've been saying from the start, His Holiness was getting these even before this. Oh yeah, of right. Course. Even in its in its in its purest sense. So. I see all of these, and uh, I have about five, six thousand comments at this point And my video has been downloaded and pushed. In other, other people have been doing that, and I see hate speech there too. And those are people names cleverly put in, put in a little bit of uh, y'all sort of like you know, but then mispr- uh, misspell some na- uh, words, but like make it sound like it's coming from Americans, right? Very typical, and like you know, talk about a little political piece in America. And like make it sound like the Americans are opposed to it. So there's a very, like I said, orchestrated and very much synchronized work happening here. And uh, meanwhile, through all of these, our Tibetan people, are keep saying, like, His Holiness's legacy will remain intact because we, the six million people, believe this. Like I said, when our country was invaded, nobody believed us. When our country was destroyed, nobody believed us. Uh, when it was plundered, right? And uh, of late, 168 Tibetans, some as young as 14-year-old, burned their selves calling for freedom in Tibet. How many people in the world know about it? Nobody. I remember when uh, Mohammed Bouazizi
0: yes. self-immunited,
1: and President Obama came out and the Arab Spring started. 168 Tibetans, men, women, lay, monks. How many people know about that? More as we speak right now, one million children, Tibetan children, some as young as four years old, have been forcefully taken from their families and put into re-education camps to erase their language, their culture, their religion, and to uh, oppose the Dalai Lama. This is happening. The UN came out with a report that this is appalling. Like I said, We, I, all of us believe in child abuse and neglect. It should never happen. We are fully opposed to it. But then when this is happening, where are people who are supporting us? We're still alone. We're fighting this battle alone. And that's why my uh, my people are like, we will get through this alone because none of us.
0: No, I don't think you should. I don't think you should. And I don't think that should be your prayer. I think your prayer should No, no, it's just like,
1: it's not a prayer. It's just like at certain point when, the very thing that that you, like, you know, being a, being people with no country, I mean, the Dalai Lama is not just uh, the Tibetan people's leader. He's the manifestation of an entire nation. He's everything that, w- who we are, our, uh, our culture, our history, our identity is in this one individual. And he has been attacked for obvious reasons. And when it gets played out like this, it hits us on every angle Every trauma, I mean, our people are happy, compassionate, even though we lived a life of trauma, and we have to go through this with humor, right? The only positive side that I told you in all of this I've seen is my my siblings in occupied Tibet finally got a grace of His Holiness as his photo without getting prosecuted. That is my silver lining. Mm-hmm.
0: And this so is beautiful. what we look at. Yeah. So beautiful. What would you wish for, pray for, for all of those others like you who are hurting? I, You know, you said
1: time where uh, the media will come out and attack China. For me, we believe like the truth and the sun cannot be covered. It will come out. They will do everything. And like, we don't have to like, we are making the world understand who the Dalai Lama is, our culture. We are not there saying, we're fighting for the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama is bigger than anything. He doesn't need any one of us to fight. We're fighting for our culture, our identity, right? And what I pray for with people like me and the people around is like, we as 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 human beings of this planet, my people, we are disappearing. We are literally disappearing in front of your eyes. And what is happening is, it's been expedited. And that hurts, knowing that a future generation of mine will Google and find this. Or your future generation, more will think of the Dalai Lama as this. It doesn't hurt him, but it hurts of our identity as Tibetans. Right? When we say we are Tibetan, people say, oh, Dalai Lama's people, very good, kind people. We will lose that. We will lose a time when His Holiness can be himself around people, yeah, his best self. Yeah, we will lose a time when our children cannot be freely around the Dalai Lama, and that hurts. And that is what is more painful than what is out there, and that's what we're trying to protect and preserve. More.
0: Yeah, I pray for your hearts to find peace and for people to see your truth, uh, because I have to say I. Actually, I have never met a Tibetan person I didn't like. Never. <laughs> it's the truth, honestly. I, I'm, I, when I was thinking, I mean, unfortunately, there are not so many of you anymore. But, you know, wonderful, wonderful, compassionate, kind, polite, loving seekers of the truth and, and enlightenment. Even the ones that don't practice have a tradition of being wonderful. What would you pray for those who are going to send you the next hate speech? I pray for their peace and their truth. If someone has so much
1: hate, it is coming out. And if they are real people, it is coming out from a place of pain, of trauma, of suffering. And I hope they find peace in that because till you don't find that peace, it will continue, it's a cycle. And that is something that uh, His Holiness is teaching is about bridging between nations, religion, finding that harmony, Because if we don't do that, if we cannot attend your own peace, you cannot bring peace. So I pray for people to find peace and their own power of truth, their justice, their closure on everything. And that's something that I hope they will, I mean, for my people, we will in this way pray and we'll move on. Knowing that nothing like His Holiness, just the day before yesterday, I think uh, he gave another teaching to about 350 people. I talked uh, to some people around, it's like he's in good spirit, and that's what it is. He's if he could forgive the greatest enemy anyone could have who took his house, home, country, people away and forgive them, rest of the world is just like nothing. He's just like I keep saying, He's probably already forgiven all of you and said, Oh, someday you'll know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's honestly the the example in that way. The you know the four noble truths will tell you that suffering persists. There is always suffering, and in an interesting way, I have to admit, my experience in the time I have spent in Dharamsala is that, you know, if suffering persists, somehow you start to get acquainted with it you know how to deal with mm-hmm. it you know how to handle it with calm and peace and compassion and interestingly i will say this most people listening may not believe that because of my deep voice and my sometimes very complex explanations of your concepts and so on the easiest way to deal with this world that we're going through is to be a child it's to let your yes. inner to let your inner child be alive and laugh at all of the irony. And, and really? he's, he's a brilliant example of that. I, I go back to my original story where just weeks before I was meeting heads of states and royalties in my position as a Google executive, and everyone is so serious and everyone is so <laughs> unreachable. And you sit next to this really spiritual symbol, idol for so many people around the world. And he's just a little kid. And I really honestly believe that he managed to find that freedom within him to say, I don't have to be serious to have an impact. I don't have to be, don't have to stop being playful to make a difference, okay? And in a very interesting way, I think when you say that he's now back talking to 350 people and teaching while he's still 88, It's perhaps that childishness of like, yeah, this is okay. I mean, I broke a glass yesterday, who cares, right? Uh, You know, there will be another glass or the world will see that they didn't really need the glass or that I actually didn't break it. So we'll find uh, out. uh, With
1: this, uh, can I share a quick uh, anecdote? Because the viewers, uh, I mean, like, they don't follow uh, the Dalai Lama like we do and everything that he does. Uh, one of his best friends who passed away was Archbishop Desmond
0: Tutu. Yeah, I loved, I, I loved that. And I met, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you see
1: the two of them interact. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, they are like little children. And they have so many photos of His Holiness wanting to kiss uh <laughs> yeah. Uh, the archbishop and the yeah. archbishop is pushing him away. He's like he's pointed finger, and at times, archbishop wants to kiss him. And like, yeah, uh, so he has all of this. Just recently, our previous prime minister shared this story, which I thought your viewers would like. So, this was when, like, you know, uh, when we had President Obama in America, and uh, President Obama wanted an audience uh, to meet His Holiness. And this, oh, offering, did he? yeah, I mean, he they met a couple of times actually. The sure. first time was like. The Chinese government were up in arms like we were all hopeful. The entire world was waiting with a weighted uh, breath on what's happening, you know, and uh, so they are meeting. Then I heard that when uh, His Holiness met President Obama, the first thing he said was, you have very big ears. Mm-hmm. That is such a serious point Of uh, of uh, geopolitical changes The first thing he said You have very big ears uh, And President said uh, I've been told <laughs> So uh, that is how His Holiness is If the world understands And recognizes him for who he is Beyond just being a child An innocent, naive, humorous affectionate kind he like more if you go in there like this he will rub your head words <laughs> will be like where's your hair and like he yeah. will pull your beard like he does that like in fact right now the 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 you will see that right after like uh the indian boy the kissing and the tongue thing isn't sticking a whole lot there's a new clip of His Holiness and Lady Gaga that you'll see surface very soon. That's well, is that true? Yeah, I mean, His uh, Lady Gaga was wearing ripped pants. Uh, you know, jeans. Mm-hmm. His Holiness is sitting next to her and like, ma- like putting his finger in that uh, between the ripped <laughs> jeans and you know. And, and I think it was all in fun and they made it into a sexual harassment for Lady Gaga. And you will hear about it a lot more. So you see, you are... see
0: this, is, this is the point. This is the point. I want to close with this. The reality is we suspect that people do what we are surrounded by, right? So honestly... If you think of everything as sexual harassment, it's because you're surrounded by sexual harassment all the time. And I think when the West positions some of those things in a way that is so aggressively against, it's sadly because the West struggles with those being phenomena that are everyday life, actually. And I pray that this is not the case. But once again, I I want to go back and say, this was my contribution to a statement that I learned in Islam, which is, if someone who's known to lie comes to you with news, verify before you start hurting people and regret in the long term. In Arabic, it's a very, very deep saying that basically says, there are people that you know are not telling you the truth. You know who those are? Mainstream media and the internet, okay? So next time you're given a piece of news about His Holiness, about the next big person, about Elon Musk, about whatever, verify. Verify. And the way to verify is, in my approach, two ways. One is to find the wisdom of the crowds in the long tail. It's to listen to every part of possible information, even if it appears to be at the extreme side of wrong, it averages you out to find the midpoint between all the madness and all the truth, to find the midpoint, which is most likely the truth. And second is always look for the motive of the person spreading that message to you. If you're following an influencer on Instagram, remember they're doing, they're sharing content with you for the sole purpose of, getting followers and views. Okay. If you're watching a news media, remember they're using negativity to keep you glued to the screen so that they can sell ads and subscriptions. If you find the pure intention behind the content that you get, you'll more likely average yourself closer to the truth. I don't know how to thank you for your courage. I don't know how to thank you for sharing your time with us. And I don't know how to thank you for taking all the hate speech and still sticking the course. Yeah. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Jigme. And I I want to also thank Anahita Mugadam for introducing me to you and new to me, I want to take the chance to thank my dear friend uh, Tuptun Jimpa, which was my very first episode here on oh, Slowmo, wow. uh, who actually different. introduced me to to His Holiness uh, wow, Tuptun wow. was His holiness 's translator for twenty five years. Wonderful human being with many many wonderful books about compassion. And I want you all to I want to thank you all for listening today because I know this is a a heated debate and a heated topic. And I want to thank you for staying with me for this long. Once again, even at the end of all of this, I can only tell you that in my heart, I believe that the Dalai Lama has a wonderful soul, okay? But I have no way of verifying his intention. When I have no way of verifying anything, I use the theory of probabilities in mathematics when you cannot prove for or against anything, you stop assuming that it's false or true, that it's good or evil. You start to say, how likely is it to be closer to one side than the other? This is going to be our way of finding the truth in this new world that we're living in that is entirely full of fake. And now, of course, because I have an agenda with this podcast, I will tell you that the only way to actually get closer to the truth is to slow down a little, to stop consuming so much crap and to actually find topics that matter to you and dig deeper and listen to more views and find a rounded big scope with every input in it so that you can come up with not the truth, but, put, but your truth, what you believe is the likelihood of something to be on one side or the other. So whatever it is that you're doing today, uh, I invite you to slow down. Slow down. Stop getting all of this madness into your life. And hey, yeah, by the way, before you leave, I want, you to, I want to remind you to back me up on this because I know I will get a lot of hate speech on this. My intentions are pure. I don't want to support anyone in specific. I just want to support the idea of finding the truth. I love you all for listening, and I will see you next time.